0: The size of the backpack has been illuminated. We've seen light and going off all over of the sky. Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, and we are sitting down with a very special guest who is coming on here for a badass interview today. I have got Mr. Clay Martin. What's up, brother? Hey, Bill. How's it going? Dude, it's it's good times. Got got some snow on the ground, got some more snow that's going to be inbound. Taking care of some of the winter tasks, man. You know, the usual.
1: You're fucking righteous. We've uh we've had a weird winter. We go back and forth from like seventy six to a little bit of snow on the grass. So it's been just absolute bananas.
0: <laughs> it's good times, man. It's good times. Well, in case you've been living under a rock, Clay Martin is the author of several books. Most noteworthy in my opinion is Prairie Fire, which I think is really a extremely well-done book on personal preparedness, surviving the coming times that are, you know, this, this upheaval that kind of we see coming down the pipe. And Clay is a GY veteran, Global War on Terror veteran. He's a Marine recon, scout sniper, and then crossed over into the Army and went into Special Forces. Clay, um, if you can, man, impart some wisdom on us what your motivation was for writing Prairie Fire, what you're doing um, in your own personal life to get prepared, kind of where you see things coming. Um, yeah, man, and 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 you know, just take it from the top.
1: Well, fucking sweet man. Well,, uh, let me let me start with uh, saying thank you very much for having me on the program. Uh, I've actually been a fan for a long time. Uh, I've been following American partisan for I mean years, dude. Uh, it's been a a real long time. It's actually really funny. Uh, when I worked for Springfield Armory, when I ran the uh, the Armory Life, this was where I reached out to and actually hired uh, several of your columnists to do like gun reviews on stuff that we we're making because I, being a, a fan of the site, I knew that there was, you know, a talent pool there of dudes that knew shit and also, you know, could write and, and do stuff. So, uh, so for me, this is a big one, man. This is, a, this is an awesome one to be on. Thanks,
0: brother. Likewise. Fuck yeah. Likewise.
1: Well, going forward uh, with the uh, with the books and why I wrote them, you know, all of us like you know ex G guys, we're looking around at this stuff that's going on, and we see what's the, the inevitable path this is going down. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard to miss. I mean, it looks exactly like every other place that's falling apart in a fucking world and in our lifetimes. And uh, that was kind of where the impetus came from for uh, for Prairie Fire, as as well as Concrete Jungle, which was its predecessor. Uh, so Concrete Jungle, especially that one, was written for like urban survival. So I'm looking around at uh, at things about 2019 and uh, how much everybody hated Trump and all this other bullshit, and uh, I'm like, ooh man, this looks uh, this looks like it could get a lot spicier. So that one was kind of written as as more like a sur- classic survival book, like okay, we're not going to, like, shoot artillery at each other, but, like, things are going to get bad. Here's how you, like, hardpoint a house. And if you don't know shit about guns, like, here's a couple things to kind of, like, guide you and a couple simple simple things. So I had written that when every publishing house in the world refused to take it, which is not a real surprise. Uh, so I was kind of sitting on it, and the George Floyd riots broke out. And I was like, oh, oh, this is bad. Oh, Yeah yeah super bad so that was kind of exactly what concrete jungle was written for so I'm like okay so you know I put it out there it was a, the biggest success I've I've ever had and uh you know yay great and but that was kind of where prairie fire was born I, I think a lot of us could go back to that you know June of 2020 look and uh you know we start off with these riots and they're they're localized riots but they're not that different from uh, you'll know, say early 90s uh Rodney King rights. They're not that different. Right. When when they started, you know what I mean? Right. Well, then they start getting bigger. And then, you know, basically politicians start, like, endorsing this plan. And then they start bailing people out of jail or not charging people at all. And then the big one, I, I think, for all of us that spent any time dealing with, uh, with terrorism or, or shit like that overseas – we start seeing this, like, very elaborate, very well-done, like, command and control structure that's controlling this, right? Right. That, for me, that was the big, like, oh, oh, this is not, this is not, like, some riots and stuff. This is actually, like, the, the beginning stages of, like, a color revolution. Like, this is bad. So, so seeing that, Ezra's like, oh, shit, uh, now we got to do something different. We got to do something besides just, like, survival stuff. So, you know, I think like any of us would have done that have the uh, the experience, you know, overseas, I, I looked at, like, how could I break down, like, some, like, very base-level infantry tactics to, like, the way that a dude that's never served in Danny's life can understand him, as well as, like, explain to that dude, like, here's the stuff that you need, and here's, like, what the situation's going to look like if this gets really fucking spicy and... What's, you know, 250 pages of of shit that I could throw at you that's going to help you survive that? So that was kind of like where where Prairie Fire came from.
0: Yeah. No, and and I think it's extremely well done. Uh, Just as you pointed out, one of the things, and and this has been a a contemporary talking point yet again in politics, is this uh, color revolution. You know, I've talked about color revolutions. You've talked about color revolutions. And, um, what we saw with the George Floyd protest was definitely, at least in my estimation, and, and you know you're you're confirming that as well, that de- definitely looked like it had all the earmarks of a color revolution, which kind of right now seems like it's on pause. Where do you see that going, though, coming up with the 2022 midterms and, um, you know, Biden's really he he is performing every bit as as we expected him to. Uh, The dude is waffling in every way possible. Ukraine is looking like that's going to turn into a shit show. Where do you see this all headed in 2022?
1: Well, I mean, I actually think the color revolution is done. I, I think it all led to the election, uh, which I also called in the the book is like they're going to steal this like hands oh, down. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think I think we're done. I think we've we've lost on the political front. Uh, I think that them stealing the election, there being absolutely no consequences to it and handing over power to what I see very much as like an illegitimate government. I mean, I think we lost that round, and I think all they're doing right now is consolidating power. Now, where that heads, man, that's a really weird question. Yeah, uh, you know, I got to think back, as well as like I'm. I'm still trying to figure this out to some degree myself. Like uh, anybody that follows like my social media and stuff knows, like I went very quiet after January sixth of last year, and uh, I mean, I was still in Montana. I'd never even stepped foot in the other state, but I saw that hammer come down, as well as like. All my personal social media got nuked uh my website got hacked like so hard that like finally uh host monster where it was like hey look bro not only can it not be fixed like we had to pull that one out of the server rack and like throw it away
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah we experienced that too
1: it was fucking ape shit like, like, yeah yeah I, i'm not a good tech guy but they sent somebody that was like yeah, they nuked everything but uh I actually stayed quiet for a while after that, like probably five or six months, because I was like, in in overseas types of places, this is when they would be sending out the goon squad to uh, to handle shit, and uh, we didn't really see that happen yet. Uh, I think because th- their hold on power is, is perhaps more tenuous than we would have thought, but uh, everything that's happened since I, I see purely as a, as a power consolidation.
0: I would agree. I would agree completely on that assessment. Um, You know, as far as the IT woes go, I mean, dude, American partisan has been targeted by the Chinese government. Um, The forum, the original incarnation of the Brushfeeder Forum got taken down after seven days. Uh, Seven days. We were originally on pro boards and got taken down um, without warning. I mean, and, and this was not too far after January 6th uh, got taken down without warning and uh, didn't even get so much as a, a heads up from them after the fact either. And that well, was it. So it,
1: it was fucking crazy there for a minute. Uh, and it's 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 also nuts because they're using both legal and I feel like extra legal means like anybody they can attack with your with pure platform stuff, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of bullshit. Like, yeah, they just they just hit the the, the kill switch. Uh, they went after guys like, uh, uh, Mikey Glover with, uh, American contingency. Is that his deal? Yeah. Like, it was like a hundred thousand dollars worth of assets, basically like nuked his whole thing. And then you also saw, you know, a lot of extra legal, conveniently you know, like Russian or Chinese ha- or, or Ukrainian hackers, or whatever, like just absolutely fucking up, uh, you know, other people that were, that were voices of, uh, of, of discontent. So yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to miss all that stuff together. You know, it's it's pretty fucking wild.
0: Well, and it, there there's a clear level of coordination that goes on with that too. I mean, it, big tech can say whatever it wants, but at the end of the day, it's allowed a certain level. Of operating autonomy that's going to go along with whatever the regime wants, and they oh, can get yeah. that in, in in the means of uh, or through the means of tax breaks or some other sort of backroom incentive that you know we're not going to be privy to. But right. that looks like that's exactly what's going on.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, dude. Yeah, I mean, without question.
0: Well, looking at this from, let's say, an insurgency standpoint. Uh, Because that's something that both you and I are very well versed in. Um, You know, you've been to the best school on the planet for insurgencies, both fomenting them and counterinsurgency as well. You can only keep a free people down for so long. You can only abuse a population for so long. And we see a lot of the language that is coming out of the power establishment in D.C. that's really telegraphing Um, A lot of ill intent towards guys like you and I, and they've been doing this for a long time. What do you see as coalescing in the future? What do you think? um, What do you think the catalyst for that's going to be and how things are going to develop?
1: Now I'm always very careful how I phrase this uh, because it's it's ironic to me that we uh, we're a nation that on the one hand idolizes George Washington and on the other hand has laws on the books that would hang him by the fucking neck until dead uh, for for what he did. Right. So forgive me, but I'm always very careful about how I parse this. But I mean, you've you've got a very good point there, and uh, you know I I do not. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I do not endorse the idea of uh, of an insurgency or a violent revolt or, what's the, is it the insurrection?
0: insurrection. Yeah, yeah, I don't do oh, yeah. oh, yeah.
1: But I also have to say, you know, man, the way they stole the election and that pretty much telling us that elections don't ever fucking matter again, that is a huge step. Uh, And it would even be different if, like, let's say the election was stolen in a different manner, so you had to be, like, a super tech dork to, like, understand how it was done. So you've only got, like, 100,000 people who really think it was stolen. Instead, you've got more, like, I would say 10 to 20 million estimate uh, that, like, believe that, like, Dominion stole the election and elections don't matter ever again. So that's a huge problem. Uh, And... Here's kind of how I see this going. And uh, it, it, I'm also glad that we're, we're on this program because I think that your, your audience understands more than most. Like, there's no such thing as like 100% with intelligence. Like, there's never a, right. a fucking absolutely clear path. I mean, even, somebody, even if you find a smoking gun, somebody might have left that smoking gun for you. So, you know, we're always looking at that like 60-70% kind, of, uh, kind of probability. But here's personally how I see this going. All right, we're going into election cycle 22. Uh, Unless they've really done some, like, magic on the algorithms and stuff, there's a high, high potential that this is the election where another 40 million people find out that voting doesn't fucking matter. Because you have to look at this like everybody is pissed off at the job the uh, the government power is doing right now. Uh, Joe Biden's got, like, some of the lowest ratings that have ever happened, blah, blah, blah. If we go into 22, you have what would be this giant red wave of uh, of voters, and they still get crushed. And if they get crushed in the same manner of, like, the midnight flips and the, uh, you know, votes went away from this guy and suddenly got added to this guy's tally – Well, then we have a much bigger chance of uh, of those people waking up. And once they realize that voting doesn't matter anymore, well, they pretty much just start making preparations for the other thing, Uh, which is not fun. But, man, that's that's just the glide path I see us on.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I concur with that. And there's one other small thing that I would add to it. What if, just for the sake of argument, that, uh, you know, we see, of course, the the quote unquote Voting Rights Act and, and all these, uh, you know, empty gestures that the Democrats are trying to pull. I contend that they are setting the narrative up that they are trying to ensure election integrity when you and I both know that it's just a hollow gesture And, and, you know, any conservative with a brain knows that this is, this is just straight BS. It's a political game that they're playing, but they are setting up a narrative for the future so that when they do get the clock cleaned in 2022, leading up to 2022, because they're expecting it, if they do allow a free election and it goes the way that we think that it will, a lot of the conservatives are going to go home, especially the ones who are looking for a peaceful resolution, like you and I and anybody else with a brain because we don't yep. want that other thing. Cause we've experienced it. We, we saw right. it firsthand. Right. Um, but the left in turn, because the Democrats who lose power in, uh, uh both houses of Congress are going to step back and say, Oh, see, look, they took all your voting rights away and they kicked that fire right back up.
1: That's, that's, that's unfortunately a fucking very real possibility. Uh, it, it, it's shitty. I mean, it just takes us kind of back to the point that like there's there's almost no way to win with uh, with what's going on. I, I mean, to the point that it almost it almost looks like they're trying to engineer uh, a shooting war for whatever reason. I mean, I mean, you can look back at the same thing with uh, with the uh, with the Trump bullshit in 2020. Either way, that had the potential to tip over into like very real violence, because what was going to happen? Either Trump kind of had to like have a military coup, like call the fucking 82nd Airborne to protect the White House while we sort the bullshit out, which right. the left would have, I mean, absolutely lost their shit, or, yeah. right, <laughs> that would have I mean, been, been hysterical to watch from, like, way on the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> it would not have been that. <laughs> it would have been funny. Yeah, right? Or, yeah, we had to have what we did have, which was uh, an absolute surrender to uh, to companies. Uh And that could have tilted the other way, too, man. Like, I mean, the 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 far right could have, like, gone nutso and been like, that's it. Fucking steal the tanks from the motor pool. Let's get it on. Uh, you know. So it, it kind of looks like. I don't know. I, I can see this two ways. I can see that they're pushing just hard enough to keep things in balance so that we don't turn into a shooting war. But I can also see the argument that they're trying to engineer things so that it does become a shooting war. Right.
0: No, I, I can't find fault with that at all. You know, that that's kind of how I see it now from the individual standpoint where uh, you were coming from with Prairie Fire. What are some of the pointers that you can offer up to, you know, your average Joe Prepper out there who is like, look, man, you know, I'm trying to get ready for what comes next because we see the supply chain breakdown, We see people get more and more violent. You know, there's the crime rates in literally every municipality in the United States is going through the roof. It's
1: fucking out of control. Yeah,
0: it is. It is, man. And and. What. Personally, what what would be your best suggestions from a a basic training regimen all the way up to personal armament and and what they need to get ready for?
1: Man, I'm so glad you asked this one because this is this is the big one and this is the the message that I, I want people to take from both books. It's the same. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start that with you know I, I was a classic prepper too before this like I'm not I didn't wake up in in 2020 like oh fuck we need to get some uh, some beans and rice in the fucking basement you know I, I've had this mentality for a lot of years like you know 20 25 years but uh, one of the things a lot of people don't know is uh, I actually lost all my shit in a house fire like two weeks before COVID started so hey yeah yeah bro fucking And then I went to the hospital, actually, like a week after that. I had this blood clot that had been forming, I guess, for some time. went all the way down my right arm and uh, and both lungs. So I was physically fucked up as well. So Mm. that kind of – that definitely influenced the way that I wrote the books. But also, my answer probably would have been the same five years ago. The biggest thing that people get wrong is they want to go to these fucking, like – survival courses of uh of dudes they're like you know like cody like them. but he's teaching people how to survive like after a fucking plane crash with when you have no shit uh in the fucking woods by yourself until you can be rescued that dude knows incredible shit about like how to build a fire and eat berries and and all this other shit but that's not the scenario that's going to happen to us as americans in our fucking houses the the thing that we need to do differently is, dude, you got to start thinking about community and a team and a tribe. I, you, you can't just have, like, a big pile of bullets and a big pile of fucking beans and think that you're going to be okay. It's like, you're not. You know that, and I know that, because we've fought and combat is a team fucking sport. But convincing yeah. people that that's true after 30 years of fucking Rambo movies and shit is extremely difficult. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's fortunately, I would say from my end, um, people, I don't want to say they're abandoning that idea, but there's definitely been an evolution, especially among younger folks. They, they're looking at things more as a team. That's something that I stress too, man, The, the, you have to have a community, you know, like, True or false? Correct me if I'm wrong, but overseas, we, you know, especially Afghanistan, you take Afghanistan or even like rural parts of Iraq, you don't have just like individual people living in the middle of nowhere. Right, that's, that's not how it works. You right. have a whole tribe, like a like a community of people that have all built their houses onto one another. They're you know they just add on mud huts to everything. And that's how they're living, and they are interdependent on one another for a variety of reasons. I mean, yeah. there's security in numbers, but you gotta you gotta sleep at some point.
1: Well, all these fucking things, and I, I, when I'm when I'm trying to convince change somebody from their school of thought to this school of thought, there, there's usually two things that I tell them that that have an impact. Like number one is like you know, from an individual like you know, cool guy shit on paper like. My shit reads like a fucking demon's resume. Like, I've done all kinds of fucking Commando Steve, you know, cool guy shit. And I'm telling you that I can't do this shit by myself. Like, not even a fucking little bit. Like, if I had to defend my my house from the fucking, you know, the mob, if you will, and I had the choice of do that myself or be strapped down to a fucking chair, but I have three ranger privates that I can fucking, you know, give orders to, I take the fucking Ranger privates and fucking heartbeat because they have a, a much higher chance of success. Uh, the other thing that I tell people is amongst, you know, Green Berets, when we think about uh, our, ourselves and our abilities, we don't see having like another teammate as, a, as just a, a multiplier. We, we see it as like an exponential gain. Two of us can do four times as much shit as one of us could, three of us can do 15 times as much because. Yeah. We have not only that, like, baseline, like, watch those back kind of shit, we have the brain trust then, too. There's shit that I don't know how to do. There's more shit that goes into, like, surviving in at a a basis between medical, food, make fucking shoes, cans, all this shit. Like, I don't have the brain capacity to do all of it. I need other people to help me. I need people are good at that, and I'll I'll protect them with the shit that I know how to do and teach them how to do the things that I know how to do. But the uh, the team concept should be, and the community concept should be step number one, without question.
0: So I'm going to ask this question because I know it's probably on everybody's mind. Uh, who's Everybody that's been following your work over the years, whether it was um, Springfield Armory and the videos that you put out there on YouTube, what would be your personal armament? What would be your choice? Uh, and I think I know what this answer is going to be, uh, but what would you choose for that and why?
1: Definitely an AR-15 of, of some flavor, probably a 16-inch barrel. Uh, and I would buy that thinking of durability more than, uh, than, than accuracy and if i wasn't going to go that route my second choice would be uh like a cmmg mutant some to shoot 760 by 39 because if i if i started this game really late i can still buy ammo for that the uh the ar platform i mean at some point you just can't argue about it because that's the most common bullet uh in the united states uh it's what everybody has what every cop le national guard everybody's got it uh and that's the the one benefit over the uh the 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 X thirty nine, the benefit of X thirty nine is you can still buy a lot of it right now. It's still relatively cheap, but those are those hands down be
0: my first two choices. Oh yeah, now one hundred percent the the ubiquity of the AR platform, getting the logistics down, Pat. The you know spare bolts, spare mags. You know a lot of people think, okay, well I'm, I'm going to go out and buy a bunch of ammo, and yeah, you obviously you need ammo. I mean that's a given but spare bolts spare parts as well and and the ar-15 in its most basic format you know mil spec format you know not not anything crazy no right. you know crazy doodads add-ons but just <laughs> keep everything real simple keeps your logistics squared away so that's step number one right picking up the the armament where would you go from there
1: Man, the next thing and this is kind of a this is kind of a weird one for guys like us, because, you know, you and me and probably most of our friends, like they already know how to use the fucking thing. But especially when I'm talking to people that are like first getting into this, man, the next thing after that is like more important than having bullets or anything else is get a little bit of ammo and go take a fucking class from somebody that knows what they're doing. As, uh, I mean, that's something that we take for granted. Uh, anybody that's been to basic training takes for granted. Like, just literally not knowing how to use that gun. I mean, that makes everything else associated with it pointless.
0: Right. Right. That and what would you say about training as a team going beyond what, you know, you and i both call square range stuff you know where you're you're oh, doing your static drills yeah. you know reloads and you know the BRM stuff all the way maybe up to dynamic movement as an individual what would you what would you suggest as team training or a team training concept bro
1: absolutely fucking important uh it's it's really funny too that we bring up like a, you know let's talk about like fire maneuver for a second from like the 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 the, the normal, like, 11 Bravo private understanding of fire maneuver. There's a lot of subtleties that, like, a, a day one new guy doesn't get. But the fact that he knows how to do that shit, that is a fucking huge... Like, that's the building block of, like, every every infantry tactic that there is. And uh, it's amazing, like, when you take a step back and look at people that don't know how to do that. And there's, there's a lot of them. Uh, this actually started for me... You remember... I think it was, like, 2017 when that uh crazy guy killed them, like, six dark cops down in Dallas.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. So that dude yeah, was, Micah like... Yeah,
0: X or whatever his name yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. They blew guy. him up with a robot.
1: Yeah, he was, like, <laughs> a reserve cook or some bullshit. But he yeah, didn't yeah. get in the yeah. army for a minute. And when I watched the video, uh, because they, they released several pieces of some there was some body camera stuff and some other stuff. At least two of those cops died because... That guy had one hour of learning how to do fire maneuver, and they had none. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, wrote an article on this uh, for a, a law enforcement uh, periodical called "Fuck." Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. But yeah, I wrote about how that's a very important thing. And so, for me, right after I started a training company at the time, I offered any cop in America for like 30 days if you show up, I'll train you for free. And uh, ironically, with the only department that took me up was some LAPD guys. But uh, I also started incorporating that anytime I went out, especially if I was teaching cops, because I was still teaching uh, quite a few cops. uh, Then I would show them like the basics. I mean, even the square range version of like fire maneuver with some fucking blue barrels over, you know, a hundred yards. And it, uh, it it blew their fucking mind. And uh, yeah, man, that's like, that's like fucking, you have got to learn how to do that. That and, just the simple ability to like walk around in the woods with your gun and not get lost, trip over your own feet or, or lose contact with your, uh, with your, your patrol element. I mean, a- again, those are things that like we all, all take very much for granted, but you've got to know how to do that shit. That shit is, that shit is more important than be able to shoot a small group on a flat range by, by a long shot. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. I, that's, man and and for me, when I first started training folks, um, that was one of the big challenges that I had because I would have guys who, especially in the uh, in the fighting carbine course, I would have guys that would come to class, and I mean, whether it's the fighting carbine course or the scout course where I've got ranges going on in in those, you know, I run a pretty re- laid back range, and you know you you would be very familiar with how it, you know it's it's like okay you know, line up, don't be, you know, crossing in front of one another, but uh, I'm treating you like an adult on the range and giving you feedback, you know, rather than micromanaging everybody, basic training style. And what's very interesting about that is in the fighting carbine course, I had people who were, you know, NRA trained or, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying anything bad about the training that, that you get from those organizations at all. Range safety is, is critically, you know, a critical thing, right? But there's a, there's a line to be observed between being, you know, so safe and, you know, keep your hands off your weapons and, you know, all of this kind of like, I don't want to call it range FUD mentality, but it kind of is. What kind of is, man? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was actually one of the huge deals about when I started teaching firemen, because that was probably the first time. Ever and this probably like 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 2017 or so that I started like really thinking about it because I mean shit, dude. I mean I learned that in like 1998 the first time, but I really started thinking about that compared to like normal like range safety rules. Like this violates pretty much fucking all of them. Like it like it does. (laughs) Yeah. And also like if you apply you know your your brain now for your age, you you're like that's actually dangerous as fuck. But we also teach it to dumbass eighteen year olds and very rarely have a problem. So it can be done safely. But yeah, you gotta you gotta throw a lot of the shit, you know, especially if you're a flat range dude, you gotta throw a lot of that shit like right out the window. Like that is not how life works.
0: Nah. Now, nah, you know, and, and you brought up the the example of law enforcement. I have a lot of experience uh in training local law enforcement agencies and and folks um that are that are out there, you know, doing all of that stuff here locally. And there's a lot of that mentality. There's a lot of officers out there that think that, you know, okay, well, I'm going to go and I'll do my very basic um uh, law enforcement standards qualification and now i'm good for the next year and i don't have to do anything else and i know those people exist you know and and that's that's one of those things that if you are committing yourself to the profession of arms right whether you're working in law enforcement or whether you are average joe prepper out there you know just if you're taking up a weapon for the defense of of life you really need to take that training seriously oh yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah, fuck, man, and uh, I mean it's uh it's fucking crazy, but yeah, I mean you've the, the, the training standards that we see both for a, a lot of LE, and there's there's some LE that does some like badass shit too. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of it is still stuck in this like early '90s. Like we got a real limited budget, uh, as well as we're not gonna think outside the box. This has been one of the problems I think from the G like G happened, and all of us got like fucking piles of money. Like here's yep. all the, money. like, you know, bullets showed up by the dump truck load, all this other bullshit. And, uh, and also like CQB became sexy, uh, you know. Fucking C- <laughs> C-
0: C- yes C- it did.
1: Yeah, and it turns out that like, that's a very limited fucking skill set. Uh, as well as like dudes forgot that like, we can train on the, in fact, a lot of the things that we need to learn how to train to do, not only is it cheap, but we shouldn't have real bullets anyway. Like, I mean, fuck, man. When you came in the army, like, how long did you patrol and and practice in a in a fucking you know butter butter jam type environment before they let you have a bullet to do like fire maneuver? Like a long
0: time. Long time. Yeah. Long time. Shoot. Uh, yeah. You know, and and on that note, I mean, I you know when when we were doing CQB. How many times did you go through a glass house before, you know, which is just, you know, engineer tape on the ground? How many times did you do that running through it dry before you actually went into the shoot house? And then how many times did you go in the shoot house dry before you ran it with blanks? And then how many times did you run it with blanks before you ran it live? Yeah.
1: Oh, dude, a huge amount. I mean, you know, a lot of hours poured into that. And I, you know, every one of the wood skills that we talk about, it's it's the same fucking way. I mean, I, I wish I had a, a count on the miles I've patrolled with no bullets anywhere to be found just so we can learn how to do it at a, you know, competent
0: fucking level. Right. You know, and and that's something I think that that's where, you know, books like Prairie Fire are critically important. And people need to get out and get the training, too, because having the field manual is awesome having the actual trigger time having the actual um you know moving into woods that little bit of suck factor getting introduced to you that immersion that you have there you got to have it there's really no replacement for that and um i think that you would agree ojt training in combat kind of sort of sucks <laughs> Yeah, it's a, fun, it's a <laughs> you know. Not really that's not really the time you want to learn how to, you know, react to contact or try and break contact.
1: <laughs> that's a very, very bad time to learn. Lo- now, if you survive, like the lesson will probably sink in. But uh yeah, bro, that fucking learning curve that is not the place to learn any of this shit. <laughs> oh fuck, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible.
0: So, you know, we've talked about the running gun. We've talked about, uh, you know, kind of the, the foundational skills. What are sustaining skills, though? Because, I mean, you know, we're both guys that have spent a lot of time in the GY overseas. Yeah. You know, it, a lot of things get glorified. And, you know, people who aren't initiated to that world think that, you know, it's just a whole lot of running and gunning all cool. the time. Thanks. And it's, yeah. it's not. Man. Like, that's... You know, what other sustainment skills do you suggest that people really need to be working on now?
1: Bro, straight up, the the biggest one, the one that everybody overlooks is is medical and medical is fucking huge because even without like gunfights and shit, like people are going to get hurt. And if you're not in a position to be able to take them to medical infrastructure anymore, like you've got to fucking fix it yourself uh and people don't like medical for a variety of reasons uh it's not sexy uh i think it's some like psychological level too people just don't want to think about that being a possibility but i think also at like a a sub subconscious level a lot of people don't want the responsibility so they kind of get in this attitude of like if i don't go learn this then i won't have to be the guy that steps up and does it but uh, I'll tell you this straight up, and uh, this is one that that you know probably doesn't make like the coolest fucking stories list. But uh, you could tell a lot about an SF team, by the way, about how seriously they took medical training. Like, if you had a team fresh, full of guys, you know, straight from the fucking course, especially that didn't have combat experience prior to that, because uh, that was still, you know, there was still a lot of that when I was uh, going through the queue. And the medic, the senior medic comes out and it's like his turn to do training or something. You know, that junior fucking woodchuck team would be the ones that were joking around and dicking off and, uh, and not taking things seriously. You could tell when you had a really good team because when the medic came out and it was his day and he was like, this is what we're fucking doing. Uh, those guys that had seen people get shot and had to patch up fucking bullet holes and shit. That's like the most fucking serious thing they've ever done. Uh, yep. Yeah, I remember very distinctly the the best team I was ever on. Uh, medic just comes in one day, and he's like, okay, this is my fucking training scenario. Like, you know, here's your bag of, you know, his borderline expended shit. And uh, there's a casualty in the fucking uh, uh, garage attached to the team room. Go fix it. And it was our captain. And, uh, man, we fucking go in there. and Fucking dudes are fucking cutting this uniform off and, like, doing all the right shit. Gave him a fucking nasopharyngeal. and uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, just yeah, I mean, fucking, you know, dead fucking serious, though. And I uh, senior medic who was a, a I mean, he was like a 17 year 18 delta at that point. Uh, he finally stops and he's like, God damn, like 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 that was that was fucking that was like all right shit. And it was fucking intense. Uh, but that's that was really how I knew, like I was on a super good team that that time because they were so serious about the medical stuff. And I mean, that shit matters. It matters a huge amount.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I've underscored in training as well, you know, because I've seen it happen. You know, I know you've lost dudes. I've lost dudes where, you know, and and, I mean, whether it's guys on your team or it's local nationals, that plays a huge part. I mean, uh, a story that I had at Fort Bragg, you don't, you don't always get to pick the opportunity either. Usually you don't. and And that's the thing, man, at Fort Bragg. Um, you know, and, and I know a lot of people have stories like this, uh, around any military post, but it seems like Fort Bragg, it was a daily event right. where you have some dumbass on a motorcycle doing something stupid, oh, you know, and, and ends up wrapping himself around a, a stop sign or whatever. Well, I watched this, I was on Yakin road and, um, literally watched this in front of me, man, this guy on, uh, he, it was him and a girl, girls on the back. And uh, he's on like a little Honda Rebel or something. I mean, it's a you know tiny little bike. You could tell he really didn't know what he was doing. Well, he clipped the jeep in front of me. Oh! He jumps the curb. He when he clipped the jeep, he he started to wobble in the road. Oh fuck! He jumps the curb. He hits one of the road signs that's on Yadkin Road. Like there's a a little dip after you cross over Murchison. Um and uh any anyway, so he hit that he is off the bike and kind of just like tumbling in the road this old lady on the back is still on the bike they've got open face helmets and she obviously she has no idea what she's doing uh because she's riding bitch well bike tips over she lands into the back into the middle of the road slides down the pavement And I'm just watching this whole thing. So, you know, I've always got a a medical go kit with me, and I definitely did back then um, in my Jeep. So I pull over, get out, and uh, the way that her head hit the pavement, it looked like she wasn't going to make it. You know, I mean, it it just, it looked like a spinal injury. So, you know, all right. And then blood, you know, arterial blood is coagulating underneath her. I'm like, well, you know, that's, there really isn't a whole lot you're going to do there. So I run over to him, get him out of the road. He's, you know, unconscious face all busted up and everything. He starts coming around, you know, keep him squared away. And then, um, I was, uh, I made sure that, you know, he had a pulse. He's good to go. His airway is open. At least he is breathing now I'm going to move over to the old lady and at least try and get her out of the road. Well, yeah. this was maybe, eh, man, it was probably maybe two minutes after the fact. Yeah. Um, my initial assessment from afar was that you know she was gone. There was nothing you're going to do right. because at ten percent of battlefield casualties or any casualties, there's not a whole lot you can do for them. Yeah. That's just is what it is. Well, this girl sits up. Uh, she absolutely was not dead. Uh, she fuck. was tore up bad. Her face looked like the Crypt Keeper, dude. Oh, Jesus. She sits up. She's sitting in the middle of Yadkin Road outside of Fort Bragg. Sits up. Her face is ground basically off. Oh, God. And yeah. Yeah, it was cute. Um, But, that <laughs> you know, it underscores the point that you, you have to have medical training. And, and here it is. It's outside of Fort Bragg. Where there's a lot of very squared away people, especially that part of Fort Bragg, yep. that know their stuff inside and out. You never know when these things are going to happen. Oh, yeah. Fuck
1: yeah, man. Dude, you know, to, to pile on the fucking medical story, yeah, I, I got one that was like really fucking dumb. We were, we were somewhere on vacation. I always had, like Pigeon Forge or, you know, like one of those like super tourist fucking areas. Yeah, uh, just having fucking dinner. And I uh, thank God my uh, my 18 Delta was on vacation with us this time. So there was a bunch of us that like all went on like family vacation together or whatever. So we're in some, you know, goddamn pigeon forge trap restaurant having dinner. It's like Friday night. So traffic's all fucking crazy. And these uh, college broads are in there and they're all fucking drinking like these big ass fucking beers of these giant mugs. And for some reason, decide they're going to like smash the glasses together. Right. So they hit him. Fucking sounds like a goddamn ID went off, and this one bitch is like just fucking shredded from like fingertip to like elbow, and it's uh. like it's like the bad blood too. It's like you know the dark red fucking you know spurting out shit. So mm. so we're we're like fuck, and I can see the look on my Delta's face. He's like, goddamn it, I gotta go fucking deal with this because he does. He has got yeah. that responsibility. So uh, he goes over and in that way that only like. Real medical professional that's fucking so squared away, like, you know, casually gets her away from the table where they're trying to put napkins on this fucking disaster. Takes her <laughs> in the back so that, like, everybody in the fucking restaurant's not freaking out. And uh, at this point, like, you know, restaurant employees are involved, too, because, you know, liability and shit. So he's like, you know, give me the first aid kit off the wall. And uh, they open up the fucking restaurant's first aid kit. And it's it's like one of those fucking cartoon first aid kits. Like, <laughs> you open it and, like, two fruit flies fly out. <laughs> <laughs> there's like there's like fucking band-aids and like expired, you know, ice-squirty shit, and that's it. So, you know, he's like, fuck. So fortunately, we had driven my truck to this fucking thing, and same thing, I go out to the truck, fucking open up the fucking console in the back, and I've got like a reasonably squared away medical kit. Let's bring it back in, he's able to, you know, throw a tourniquet on this thing, and basically gauze it and stop all this shit until the paramedics get there, which takes, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but certainly enough time that this chick would have bled out. Now, I'm sure he could have also done some some fucking magic shit with a fucking belt or, uh, you know, some fucking wazoo 18-delta trick, but it was very... It made his life so much fucking easier that we had proper tools there, like a real fucking tourniquet shit, but, uh, you know, fuck, what if he hadn't been there? And, uh, And what if we hadn't had that shit? Like, I mean, this girl might have fucking bled out right there at applebee's for no fucking reason yeah oh man i'm sorry about that my uh this is my my generator test time which i forgot about and this son of a bitch just kicked on
0: No, you're fine you're you're fine i i can't really hear it in the background so you're good Okay,
1: good. It's, uh, it's loud loudest shit in the room I'm in. God.
0: No worries, man. Mine, uh, I've got a power inverting generator that kicks on intermittently out here, too. So, it's all good, bro.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very fortunate. The, uh, the new house I bought came with one of those, like, whole house generators that runs on natural gas. And, nice. Uh, as long as the natural gas is still flowing, it is fucking gangster as fuck. It is so cool. But right on. Also, one of those things I, I personally would have never paid for is, like... If the grid goes down, natural gas is going down, too.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it's well, you know, on that topic, man. They So we were talking about medical skills, which are, you know, we, we went from kind of organizational standpoint and ideological standpoint to, you know, personal armament for preparedness and then sustainment skills, medical right down there on the list You know, and and longtime listeners, guys have have, uh, followed both my work and your work for a long time. This, you know, this conversation should be nothing new. Uh, These are things that you've heard. But since we're talking about uh, generators and sustainment equipment, you know, hey, what else? What other skills would you throw into the mix? Man, this is
1: where this is where things start taking like a, you know, like a wild fucking turn. Because it really depends on, like, how bad you think things are going to get. And then as well as you and I both knowing that while it was basically hell on earth for a while, Iraq also always had power to some degree and fuel to some degree, even if it was scarce. So right. you got, I, I have a hard time with this internally as well, balancing this point between, you know, there are a lot of things that electricity is a huge benefit for and a lot of things that fuel is a huge benefit for. It will probably have some of that. Now, will that keep like my three deep freezers going in the, uh, the hot ass summer? Probably not. But so basically what I'm trying to get to is like a point where I can mitigate like my fuel and electrical needs in a, in a, in a good way. And I, one of the things I did actually this summer is uh, knowing how much mobility matters. Uh, even if it's just me, like I hate motorcycles with fucking passion uh, because I was there a couple of years where uh, Harley Davidson killed more operators than Al-Qaeda did by like a long shot. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. My, oh, uh, yeah. My,
1: my, my spotter killed himself and his wife on the way to their kid's birthday party when you're on a fucking Harley cause some bitch pulled out in front of him. Damn. Uh, and he t- yeah, it was fucking brutal, dude. I mean, fucking absolutely terrible. But all those things like I hate motorcycles, and yet this summer, I went and bought one because when I did an analysis of fuel, uh, a motorcycle, like a smaller one, like a 300cc or whatever, gets like 78 miles per gallon. An ATV gets 20. Uh, A side-by-side gets 20. Uh, Pretty much anything else you can think of that will haul shit gets 20, at which point I might as well take my wife's Ford Explorer so uh so that was a big step for me is like stepping into this thing that i'm i'm uncomfortable with just because it meant that i could store enough fuel you know 40 gallons at 78 miles per gallon will take you a long ass ways uh so that i mean that was really a big step towards enhancing my own mobility uh then as far as like other major systems go you know i'm kind of kicking myself in the ass for not dedicating more to solar Because even having a little bit of electricity is better than having no electricity. Uh, I I think we all agree on that. And, uh, and that's one of the, like the next things I'm working on. It's like, I I hope shit lasts long enough that I can get the coins to have, you know, at least a a small solar bank. Uh, But other than that, the biggest things that you can do, I feel like is it goes back to that expanding that community and that fucking network. Like uh, I have uh, cousins with farms within like the next two counties and one of the things that we're doing is we're putting in uh, small amounts of goats and pigs so that we have meat year round because those things are small enough that if we slaughter one, even if we have to if there's no refrigeration we have to cook at all, we can reasonably do that with like four or five families over the course of you know two days or whatever however however long that meat will last without uh without refrigeration, and kind of you know sustain ourselves on a protein level. i mean that's a that's a fucking big thing right there.
0: Yeah. Animal husbandry is huge, man.
1: Oh dude. And if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, like you gotta start learning like right now. <laughs> like, like, like.
0: It there there is a very steep learning curve to it. I mean that, that's why, like in Afghanistan in particular, wealth was measured in terms of how many goats you had. You oh know, yeah. Fuck yeah. Like dude. they their their goat herds were a huge deal. They really didn't care that much about money like in, in the sense that, that we think of money. Right. That that didn't really factor into the equation in most cases. But, you know, if if you messed with their goat herd, you'd oh, see Hodge flip out quick, fast, in a hurry, man, because that might mean the difference between surviving into the next winter.
1: Oh, yeah, man. Dude, it's a fucking huge deal. I mean, that, that was actually one of the things I, I hit on uh, strongly in, in Prairie Fire, too, is you know, the minute that, like, things get really fucking bad and people are really hungry, like, your goats or your buddy's goats or fucking cows or whatever, that is, like, prime thing to try. and st- It's worth more than gold at that point. And you've also got to figure out a way to, like, protect these animals uh, so that you have enough that you can, you know, have breeding stock. Uh, and that's a fucking massive fucking deal. And, uh, you know, people start knocking those off and, you know, cutting a steak out of the fucking hindquarter and leaving. Not only have you wasted, you know, thousands of pounds of meat, but uh, it's not going to take very long before it's no longer a sustainable fucking resource.
0: Well, yeah, man. I mean, when I was growing up and, you know, you, you probably experienced this, too. When I, when I was growing up in, in rural northern North Carolina, um, you had all the old timers who, you know, they, they'd come up in some really hard times. Nothing went to waste. No part of the animal went to waste. And that's why they still have, you know, like what we, we would call like soul food or whatever, you know, like, like yeah. stuff yeah. that people, it's, it's the butt of a joke now, like eating chitlins and, you know, hog jaw and pig's feet and all this stuff. Right. Like we joke about that stuff now. And, and like people eat it kind of as a dare. But that was a really big thing, especially among uh, people that were poor in rural environments like where I grew up, because nothing went to waste, man.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, man. Yeah. The the Czechs and like uh, poor Germans like uh, in my area, like, yeah, they were doing shit like, you know, boiling the goat head to get the stuff out. And that was like made some fucking dish that like now I I wouldn't try for like a lot of money. But, you know, but that was how it was done and and still is. And I I mean, fuck, we're probably going to be back there, man. It's that's you better get ready for some hard times.
0: So on that note, yeah, I mean, I I agree a thousand percent and then some on that note. There are that subset of people out there and you're going to get a chuckle out of this That You know, you always run into them, whether it's on a forum or whatever. And they're just like, oh, I'll just hunt. You know, I, I'll just hunt. <laughs> These people have never really hunted either. When when you actually pin them down, it's like, okay, well, how many deer did you kill this season? And yeah. they're like, oh, well, none. Well, have you ever butchered a deer before? No. But you're just going to magically know how to do all this stuff, right? Um, hit on that real quick.
1: Oh fuck, man! I, I can't remember if I covered that in the book or not. But one of the things people need to understand about hunting, especially, you know, now. Deer hunting, especially, like East Coast deer hunting, like, it's not that big of a deal, right? You can go out in your yard in Maryland and pop one. Uh, And people, I think, kind of wonder, like, hey, why was deer hunting, like, ever considered difficult? Well, it's because after the fucking Depression, it was for, like, 25 years. Because all the animals, all the easy ones got, like, fucking massacred by the poor people everywhere. Because they had to to sustain themselves. It's also when we saw, like, the rise of, like, game wardens and shit. Like, we hadn't seen that. Like, they probably would have hunted all those animals to extinction. So it might even be easy, depending on your area, like, right now. Six months into this, good luck, brother. The only people that are going to be bringing home wild meat are either absolutely incredibly talented hunters that still had to fucking work for it. Like, you know, stock them for seven days and that kind of crazy shit. Yeah, or people that live in one of those unique regions, like I, I'd have to run the population, like Alaska, where there's probably enough wild shit to sustain the population, but the odds of that are, I mean, astronomically low. I mean, we could hunt every elk out of the Rocky Mountains in uh, in six months and not feed, you know, Denver and Boise.
0: Yep. So probably yeah, the, wouldn't
1: the idea that you're hunting with is fucking except for some very unique places is, is not a good plan.
0: Right. Nah, it, that's, I get cracked up when I see that too, you know, everybody's, Oh, I'll just hunt and I'll be good to go. You know? <laughs> Well, <and> th- yeah. <laughs> that is
1: one of the things I like about, uh, especially, uh, you know, Cody London is like more of like a, a mainstream like survival dude. Uh, he straight up says in one of his books, uh, where he's taken, you know, these experts, like dudes that like live for this shit out, and he has yet to see somebody be able to sustain for more than like two or three weeks on naturally available resources, unless they happen to kill a big animal. But all the yeah. other, all the other shit like that, young know, you eat roots and berries and all this crap, like that will keep you alive in the short term, but it is not a long term sustainment plan. It just it doesn't work.
0: No, no, and it, it that that's why every. When you look at every culture that developed, whether it was an indigenous culture or, you know, whatever, they they all had their seasons of the harvest. And they all had, uh, you know, the, the basically everything revolved around the hunt when you boiled it all down. Right. The, the cultures, yeah. everything revolved around the hunt and the ability to be an effective hunter because it was that critically important. Right. But as as things developed animal husbandry got better and we got more successful with that we could concentrate on other stuff rather than having to go and and chase wild animals that are predisposed to their own survival right
1: right yeah man it's i mean it's a fucking huge deal i mean the hell is darwinism 101 right there too like there's some really smart deer now, yeah, the dumb ones might be easy to fucking snaggle up, but everything that survives that is just going to get, you know, harder and harder and harder to find. Or we'll kill it all off. Like, that's that,
0: those are the two paths that it could take. Yep. Well, brother, coming up on the hour mark, is there any last things that you want to cover today with the Radio Contra audience?
1: Man, I, I think we've done some pretty good hitting here. You know, teamwork. Be in shape. That one matters too. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, fuck. Uh, have your shit in one bag. I, I guess probably the biggest thing that I want to say to everybody is, uh, don't get so wrapped up in the details that you're only chasing down like one line of what's going to happen. It's easy to get surprised. So, you know, you want to have your brain open. You want to you want to be looking at like what I think is going to happen. But you've also always got to be ready for that sucker punch. So you know, keep keep your fucking eyes peeled, and uh, and don't get so wrapped up in your own hypothesis that you think that's the only plausible scenario.
0: Amen, brother. Well, it was damn good having you on. I look forward to getting you on this podcast many, many more times because uh, it's been, been, it has been a quick hour. It has, man. It's gone fucking fast. Yeah, brother. Well, anyway, for all of us here at Radio Contra, thanks for being with us yet again. Clay Martin, Prairie Fire, Concrete, Jungle, and Off the Reservation. Hit him up. And uh, do you have any other websites, social media outlets that you want to plug? Uh,
1: man, I got my own little one I do, uh, OffTheReservation.net, but I don't, I don't update it as much as I should have, uh, or I should. I'm just kind of not in the space for it right now. Uh Man, I I think that's it for for now. I mean, I follow you guys. uh, I follow Western Rifle Shooters, who I see uh, post your stuff quite a bit. And, uh, you know, other than that, man, fucking keep your eyes peeled. Fucking don't get wrapped too much up in the game. And, uh, man, I appreciate being on today.
0: Yeah, brother. We're all right, folks. Thanks again for being with us. And This is NC Scout out.